Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 615 for the 21st of October 2018. This week, Alien Skin's X4 version of Exposure makes it more capable as a standalone application, but Lightroom users probably will still want to use it as a Lightroom filter where it adds several new features not otherwise available. In short circuits, Adobe's Max conference in Los Angeles introduced so many new and improved features that Adobe's presenters were unable to describe them all in a two-hour presentation. Cyber Reason developed an exercise in conjunction with several Boston area police departments in which theoretical hackers attempted to create election problems without stealing voter lists, breaking into Board of Elections computers, or hijacking voting machines. The results were sobering. In spare parts, which you'll find only on the website, anyone with a hardware or software support problem that seems insoluble should check older geeks because there's a good chance the problem can be solved. FlightAware is now able to track airliners and business flights when they're on the ground and even when they're in locations not visible to terrestrial tracking systems. Alien Skin is both a collaborator and a competitor with Adobe. Its flagship application, Exposure X4, operates as a plug-in with both Lightroom and Photoshop, but it also runs as a standalone application that can manage photographs and perform basic edits. Unlike Adobe applications, Exposure X4 comes with a perpetual license, so there are no annual fees. There's a lot to like in the new version. Alien Skin has been one of my favorites for a long time because of the stylized filters that it could add to Photoshop and Lightroom. There's always been a certain amount of competition with Adobe, though, and that seems to have intensified in recent years. Adobe has added capabilities similar to some of what SnapArt, another of Alien Skin's applications, offers, and Alien Skin has responded by adding the ability to organize, catalog, and manipulate RAW files. Lightroom. With the new X4 version, Exposure offers a Lightroom migration tool that connects the Lightroom folders to Exposure and imports Lightroom metadata. One significant shortcoming is that Exposure does not import Lightroom adjustments directly. This could be a deal breaker for somebody who has hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of images that have been manipulated in Lightroom. You'll lose all of those edits unless you export the modified images as TIFFs, which are larger and lossless, or as JPEGs, which are a lot smaller but are lossy. This process could consume a lot of disk space for duplicates of images that have already been processed in Lightroom. On the other hand, if you don't have a huge catalog of existing images, or if you prefer to use exposure as a filter in Lightroom or Photoshop, there's nothing to be worried about. Because exposure's edits are non-destructive, modifications are stored in sidecar files that are placed in a subdirectory, 
As a result, Lightroom cannot see changes that exposure has created unless it's used as a filter. So clearly then, there are some problems if you want to use exposure as a standalone application and also use Lightroom. If your workflow uses Lightroom as the primary management tool, then exposure continues to be one of the most useful plugins on the market, and that's the way we'll look at it today. As powerful as Lightroom is, there are tasks that it doesn't perform. Let's say that I have a photo of a giraffe standing in midday bland flat sunlight. And we can say that because I do have such a picture, and you'll see it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I could use Lightroom to warm the image, but in this case I'd also like to change the light source. And that sounds like a job for Exposure X4. So for Lightroom, I choose the option to edit the image in Exposure. In Lightroom, I had a digital negative image that Lightroom created when I imported the RAW file from a Canon camera. The first step involves creation in the background of a TIFF image that will retain all of the data from the RAW file and allow it to be edited in Exposure without modifying the original. Previous versions of Exposure had overlays that could be placed but not modified other than by being flipped vertically or horizontally. The X4 version adds some mobile overlays. These are indicated by a hand icon on the thumbnail. And if you want one to be mobile, you do have to look for that little hand icon. So the next step was to load the overlay. I looked at several of them, chose a flare effect to begin with, and the default placement was on the left side of the image. That wasn't where I wanted it. Instead, I wanted the flare to be on the right side of the image where the sun would be. It's also possible to drag the source entirely off the image. You'll see how I positioned it to the right of the image. In addition to moving the effect, it can be made larger or smaller, its opacity can be modified, and the blend mode can be selected. In other words, the user has a nearly infinite number of adjustment options to choose from. Exposure also has options for basic adjustments, similar to those found in Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, and for detail, color, tone curve, vignette, geometric transformation, focus and bokeh, lens correction, grain, and even metadata. When the exposure modifications are complete, accepting them returns the updated TIFF image to Lightroom. You'll see that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In this case, the final image is fairly similar to the original, but with a stronger side light. You might think this improves the image, or you might not. The point with artistic work is that users are able to create images that satisfy themselves. And as you look at that final image, or actually any of the others, you might be wondering about the background and how that came to be. Well, it's exactly what came out of the camera. I was using a 600mm lens, and on a cropped sensor camera, that actually equates to, if you're thinking in 35mm terms, about a 900mm lens. And I had a relatively wide aperture to keep the giraffe in focus and blur the background. Had the background been sharp, though, I could have used Exposure's bokeh setting to blur it. Other improvements in the new version include better shadow and highlight recovery and transformation tools that allow perspective correction. So the bottom line for Alien Skin X4 is five cats. It continues to provide capabilities that photographers want.
Users of Alien Skin's exposure application who have wished that the overlay feature did more will definitely want to upgrade to the new X4 version for that reason alone. Photographers who don't use Lightroom and want to avoid software as a service will welcome Exposure's improved organizer functions with smart collections and monitored folders. New users will pay $150, those who are upgrading $100. The Exposure X4 bundle, which includes SnapArt and Blowup, is $200 for new users, $130 for upgrades. You'll find additional details on the Alien Skin website, and there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, let's call this Adobe to the Max. Adobe has an annual convention. It's called Max. This year it was held in Los Angeles, and there were so many additions and improvements that Monday's two-hour keynote couldn't cover them all. You'll hear about some of the changes, enhancements, and additions in coming weeks, but a few deserve to get some attention right now. Existing Creative Cloud members received the new versions of the applications, along with new applications, on Monday. Adobe's Artificial Intelligence, Sensei, continues to become more capable of taking over routine, repetitive tasks that creatives dislike and give them more time to be creative. Photoshop users have wanted a better undo for years, and now, at last, in the CC 2019 version, there is an undo that does more than just toggle the most recent change on or off. Now, repeated Control-Z keystrokes move back through the file's history. The attendees cheered when that was announced. Also, resizing a Photoshop component now locks proportions by default. That should have been the default all along. Another cheer there. Developers have also brought to Photoshop the ability to create frames like InDesign has. Inserting one image into another will now be considerably faster without the need to mask the inserted file. I will say just three words about Adobe's video creation application, Premiere. Content-aware fill. This technology has been part of Photoshop for a fairly long time. Now it is part of the video workflow. Now, Premiere is a very complex program, and often work needs to be done in Prelude before the file goes to Premiere and in After Effects when the work in Premiere is complete. Premiere Rush is intended to simplify video production. It is aimed primarily at website content creators, Rush includes the ability to capture, edit, adjust color, improve audio, add motion graphics, and render for platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You may have noticed I did not mention Vimeo. It's not currently supported, but Adobe's working on it. Quick look at Lightroom. Lightroom users previously could create high dynamic range merges with multiple images, and they could create merged panorama images. Those who had HDR images of a series of panorama images first needed to create individual HDR images, then merge those into a panorama, a multi-step, long and involved process. Now there's just a single step. Select a series of images, select HDR panorama, and Lightroom figures it out from there. 
Sensei provides a big assist for InDesign users. Placing an image in a frame is a lot easier now. Until now, the image had to be dropped into a frame, resized, often several times, and then moved, also often several times, just to properly position the most important part of the image. Now, Sensei examines the image, attempts to identify the subject, crops the image to fit the frame, and positions the subject. Even if the AI doesn't get it exactly the way the designer wants the first time, it's a lot less work getting it just right. And Adobe has made some big changes to the way they handle typefaces. Until now, Adobe Typekit was primarily an add-on application with significant limitations. Not all typefaces were available for both the web and print. Those who used Typekit faces on websites had limits on how many users were permitted per month. Not all faces were available without additional charge. Well, Adobe Fonts changes all that. Now there are no limitations, and all fonts are included for those with just the photography plan or a standalone Acrobat license, in addition to the full Creative Cloud. And Creative Cloud itself now contains 25 desktop applications and many applications designed for mobile devices. In 2019, a full version of Lightroom CC will be available on the iPad. It's currently in alpha testing within Adobe. Max attendees were able to see it in action. The overarching goal, according to Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan, is to make it possible for photographers, designers, and videographers to be able to capture and work on an idea wherever and whenever inspiration strikes. The company's 20,000 employees are working to make that a reality, and some 14,000 Max attendees got a look at the latest technology and what's promised for the future. Speaking of the future, we'll have more detailed looks at the individual applications in coming programs. presentation by the security firm Cyber Reason this week is more than a little disturbing, called Hacking the Vote. The presentation was aimed at the private sector, not government. It concentrated on the election to give it a more immediate feel and a context that most people could understand. The tabletop exercise pitted hackers, the red team, versus police, the blue team, with oversight by a control team. They were white. The goal of the attackers was to disrupt the election, not halt it. The intent in the scenario was to create a situation so that regardless of who won the election, the results would be questioned, thus eroding faith in the electoral system. Cyber Reason's Senior Director of Intelligence Services, Ross Rusticki, explained. It was set up with two teams, red and blue, to really look at the impact of hacking an election, but expressly not hacking the voter rolls, the vote itself, or the voting machines. So all the things that you hear in the news quite a bit, our red team was not allowed to go after, which greatly limited what they were able to do, but it also created a more dynamic game because they're looking for environmental effects to achieve the same overall purpose. And their goal for this, the way they would have succeeded in winning, is by disrupting and undermining confidence in the vote. 
So they don't necessarily care whether a Democrat or Republican wins, just that there's enough doubt about how the process happened that the election itself is viewed as contested and is undermined. So whomever takes power, regardless of how they end up taking power, never is seen as legitimate and it undermines the faith in the system. Blue, on the other hand, was meant to represent the first responders, the people on the ground that would be dealing with the immediate effects of whatever the red team threw at them. And so that team was primarily comprised of cops from the Boston area. And their job was essentially to not only maintain public order and all the things that you'd expect from a police force, but also deal with the effects of what Red was throwing at them to ensure that the election happened and was safeguarded and that there was the public faith and confidence in it. The hackers had political information about the area, which the police didn't have. The police had information about the physical city, which the hackers, presumed not to be local, did not. The game maintained normal police activities, such as dealing with traffic accidents, crimes, and such, to maintain a feeling of reality. The blue team was initially overwhelmed because they tried to do everything alone and called in state and federal agencies late in the game. So who won? The blue team was very blunt in the fact that they were overwhelmed and they did not win this round. Um, They cracked the joke that red team's winning until the cuffs come out and over a long enough time maybe they could have brought somebody to justice depending on jurisdictions but given the kind of immediacy of this scenario and the impact that it has on the institution of democracy i would say red had a resounding success in what they were trying to do the bad guys also had the kind of technology that a group intent on destroying the electoral process would be likely to have according to cyber reasons chief security officer sam curry we also built and invested in a botnet in this case those botnets were tied to social media accounts and that was around the second move of the day which we used to great effect in the information campaign now of course it was hypothetical as to what those social media accounts were, but did the CISO and those social media companies game out a scenario where compromises of identity weren't about the end users, weren't about theft of money, weren't about embarrassing the social media provider, but instead was about a completely different conflict and therefore that they had become unwitting contributors to damage to the public good. I think in this case, what it says is If you're in the private sector and you are in a position to look at your annual risk assessment, you need a third category beyond our risk, supply chain risk. You need one of, let's game out some scenarios like this one and do some tabletops or look at how we might be used to damage the political scene, to damage public safety, to damage faith in things like markets, depending on what what verticals you're in. The takeaway for most of Cyber Reason's clients is that it is important to consider threats that often aren't the first things security officers think about. If you'd like to listen to the entire program, you'll find it on YouTube, and there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website www.techbiter.com. And while you're there, check out Spare Parts because that's the only place you'll find it. This week, anyone with a hardware or software support problem that seems insoluble should check with older geeks because there's a really good chance that the problem can be solved. And FlightAware is now able to track airliners and business flights when they're on the ground and when they're in locations not visible to terrestrial tracking systems.
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.